1: Hello there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We have with us this morning Melanie Kahn, who is an author of Mason Goes Mushrooming. And we're going to talk today about a wild mushroom celebration, cooking demonstrations, and tasting in Shelburne and in Montpelier. Let me just give you a little background. Melanie started hunting mushrooms in Vermont in 1968 when her family bought a farm in West Brattleboro. For the last 22 years, she has taught children how to forage for wild mushrooms. She and her husband, Beau, co-owned the Porch Cafe in Brattleboro. You can find her leading mushroom walks on foraging at every opportunity. Uh, Melanie, welcome back. Oh, it's so nice to be with you this morning. This beautiful fall morning, isn't it great? And the colors are finally not not as vibrant as we'd like them, but they're finally starting to come out. So, could you talk a little bit? You were on the show. I was trying to find the date, but it was it was quite a while ago. Um, could you talk about the book and why you wrote it, and where did the idea come from, and all those cool things?
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, I think it was a, almost a year ago that we were together. Yeah, and I was. Uh, Just starting out on this adventure of taking uh, kids and families um, at this point all across um, America out into the woods and looking for wild culinary edible mushrooms. And one might ask, why on earth would you want to take children in the woods to do such a thing? And the answer is because it's tremendously fun. Kids are fantastic foragers. They love the thrill of the treasure hunt and finding their own Sources of food right here in our backwoods of vermont uh, I, I teach obviously very beginner mushrooms of which there are plenty in the fall and i'd love to hear from your listeners about what they're finding there's a lot more foragers out there than i ever would have imagined and right here in our in our wonderful state of vermont the mushrooms are have had a fantastic season right because of with the all the
1: rain things. huh
0: Oh yeah, the mushrooms are quite happy. (laughs) That makes makes foragers happy. Foragers don't mind a little bit of rain, and neither does nature, of course.
1: So, Uh, so Melly, can you tell us the difference? What does foraging mean, and then and why do you think foraging has become so popular? I mean, that's really great. Yeah, so foraging means
0: uh, to to look for or hunt for something you can eat or use. So, for example, you might forage for a tool in your toolbox. (laughs) You also might forage for wild blueberries up in Maine or on the hillsides. And so foraging is really about finding things that are useful. And uh, I started foraging as a young child with my parents, so I'm a second-generation forager, and my kids uh, are third generation. And foraging is best taught through passing down when in the oral tradition between generations, I hear tons of stories, and I'll bet we'll hear some from your listeners, about having gone out in the hills and dales around our hometowns and learned from our grandparents. That's a very, very common refrain that I hear, that folks have wonderful memories of being out in the woods yeah. with elders, elders in and passing things down through the oral tradition.
1: That's great. Anybody who wants to talk to Melanie and call in and share your stories, the number is 244-1777. So come on, call in. My stories are about strawberries and blueberries where I lived in New Jersey. Um, that's when mm-hmm. we would go out to the woods to find the those strawberries and blueberries. And it was so exciting coming home with a basket full. I mean, it was just yes. like, look what we did. It was so cool. Yes. Yes, so
0: you have your own origin story of that thrill, really, of finding something that you're hunting for. Think of like the Easter basket on Easter morning or (laughs) the seashell on the beach or the sea glass, you know, on the rocks next to the beach. There's this aha moment that happens when you're out in nature and you're looking for something, and everybody can relate to that in some way.
1: That's right. I have to tell you just a quick diversion from a little story. I, um, up until recently, we were camping in Maine for the summer. And, um, you, I had had, I have your book, Mason Goes Mushroom. I actually have it in the studio with me. Um, it's very attractive and we'll talk about the illustrator in a few minutes. It's all my colors. I'm a fall person. So it's green and, and orange and gold. And it's, it's a fabulous, Presentation of the book, so I brought it to camp with me because my two little cousins were coming, and I thought mm-hmm. I should have the book around, you know, for something for them to read and do. And when they arrived, I showed them, like, Oh, we have that in school. We read it all the time. I'm like, Good, that's great. So good for you. <laughs> Where are they in school? Uh, they're in the uh, sugar bush, so uh, oh, in nice. in Waitsfield. Isn't that cool? They were they knew. Yeah. Oh, we know that book. So I thought I was...
0: I love stories like that. And, Pat, I have two events coming up this coming weekend that are completely for kids and families like what you just described. Uh, One is at Shelburne Farms, which, of course, everybody knows is just a fantastic um, venue for all sorts of education. They do bread baking and jam making and wild foraging walks. And it's just a terrific place. If you've never been to Shelburne Farms, you know, come on down. Uh, for that event, and then that's 10 a.m. on Sunday, and then on Sunday afternoon, I'm going to be hightailing it down to the North Branch Nature Center in uh, right outside Barrie in Montpelier area, where we're going to do another forage with a culinary um, bit where we're going to be cooking up some wild mushrooms, Mm. and I'm going to bring wild and cultivated mushrooms to to do a tasting. I like to introduce people to all of the different taste that there are in the forest right
1: here. Well, I don't know. Uh, now, do we need reservations? Because I'm going to the North Branch one. I've got it on my calendar because I do you. want to that's meet you. Yeah, that's cool. Because uh, I, I cheese and mushroom. I don't know that I have many recipes that don't include one or the other. So, I'm very well, big I'll on, on, on mushrooms Now, you mentioned wild and cultivated. What is the difference between wild mushrooms and the stuff we buy at the store?
0: That's a fantastic question. So I actually get cultivated mushrooms from Flipstream Farm, which is in Williamsville, Vermont. And they grow them on logs or on a substrate, like a sawdust mass or some kind of agricultural waste. And they inoculate them with the spores of the mushrooms of different types. the so lion's mane or pink oysters or the blue oysters or the trumpets, they have all different types that they they can grow right there in their facility. So those are considered cultivated mushrooms. The kind of mushrooms that you get at the store, the white button cap yep. or the portobellos, those are grown more in a mushroom farm, like under a big hoop house in earth. Huh. So there's different ways of cultivating mushrooms, and then there are foraged mushrooms that we find out in the wild some of which cannot be cultivated. In other words, they can only grow in the wild. And for reasons that have to do with their what they need in order to, to live, basically mostly having to do with relationships with trees and the soil in the forest. So those are three different types of mushrooms. And if you're foraging in the store, as I like to describe <laughs> it, try to pick some mushrooms out that you've never had before. Because there's quite a selection beyond the white button mushroom. There's the mini Bella portabellas, there's the larger portabellas, which are fantastic, grilled like a piece of meat, almost treated like huh, a steak. Right. There's also many cultivated mushrooms now for sale. In my local Hanifers. I can get a vast majority of the mushrooms that are grown in the cultivated world i can now get at the supermarket which is pretty great
1: that's really great could you repeat again where you buy your cultivated mushrooms because i miss that
0: sure yeah well i buy them at the brattleboro farmer's market oh. on saturday morning from my friends at the slipstream farm oh, okay slipstream and it's up in williamsville vermont and they are growing some of the best cultivated mushrooms i've ever tasted Oh, i I'm so, take them to i'm going to have some with me on sunday Pat. so i'll show them okay great
1: well i'm going to have the book so you can sign it colored. oh you bet all right that cool i'm bringing it so anyway um i want to talk about the book first of all i mentioned ellen corbett Karb- up korabanski yes thank you mm-hmm. uh, this was her first debut as an illustrator where did you find her because this book is fabulous. The illustrations are just spectacular. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Pat, because
0: I couldn't agree more. She is a very humble and fantastic illustrator. Uh, she lives in, in New York City with her uh, two daughters and her husband, who's a jazz pianist. Oh. And I actually went to both undergrad and graduate school with her, uh, but our undergrad was at Wesleyan in, in English, and our grad was at, at in in film at NYU. So it had nothing to do with writing children's books. But during the pandemic, she came up to visit me in Vermont and she was sitting at the kitchen table just making the most beautiful watercolors of the birds outside. And I just said to her, Ellen. I had no idea you were so talented with watercolor, and both of my parents are artists, and unfortunately I have not an artistic bone in my body, but I can really appreciate it. So I said, would you be interested in working on this book that I have in my head? Of course, I had not written a word, Pat, so I was kind of, you know, doing something signifying <laughs> the fine into the fire. And she looked up from her paintbrush, and she I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, Sure. And I said to myself, uh-oh. Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: this this isn't good.
0: <laughs> I just committed to writing a book with my friend Ellen that I haven't even really, I had it in my head. But so I made a, you know, I made myself accountable to her, which That's is good. a wonderful thing to do for any of you listeners who have projects, make right. yourself accountable to somebody else.
1: Keeps you getting to make sure it's done. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. And she, and she, we held hands through the entire process and we got it done in two years. And, um, Uh, If you look on the cover of the book, she has the exact same font size, the exact same collaboration with me. It was a complete 100% work together. And it's published in Vermont by Greenwriters Press. The Vermont publisher is printed, I'm proud to say, by Springfield Printing in Springfield, Vermont. It's a fantastic outfit. And it's being distributed here, here in Vermont. Wow. Um, those three things. So I'm, I'm super, super happy to say it is a Vermont book, through and through.
1: That, well, it, and it, maybe that's why I love it so much because it just all came together. And um, it's separated into four sections: spring, early summer, late summer, and autumn. And in each section, there is a recipe that. Is easy to follow because last night, to get ready for the show, I made pasta with chanterelles, and it was... You did. I did, and my husband loved it, and I, I mean, you can't go wrong with heavy cream, Melanie, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, heavy cream and butter, I mean, how hard is that? But anyway, it was and a great it recipe. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And uh, anyway, so... What could,
0: kind of mushrooms did you use? Well, it was
1: from Price Chopper, so... um, uh, Oh, wait. Wasn't the... Button. Possib-
0: oh. Possibly shiitake. Shitake, okay. Thank you.
1: I just went blank. Shiitake mushrooms. Yeah. That was that was yeah, the only different perfect. thing I could find. They did, they they actually do have some. Different ones, but not this time. But anyway, um, could you talk about each one of these um, sections and you identify the, the mushrooms that are most prevalent during this time of the year and maybe a little bit about what to look for? I like working with kids because they're a little closer to the ground for picking up the mushrooms, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's
0: a long and they way down. They're good eyes. <laughs> yes, even. exactly. Yeah, they have terrific eyesight. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, uh, absolutely, Pat. I'll respond to that. It, the the idea for breaking it up into four, four beginner mushrooms, four seasons, four trees that they're associated with, and four recipes and four little adventures. Makes it, you know, a, quite an easy uh, pattern for the kids to follow. And you can also, you know, read sections of it if you wanted to do it that way. The first mushroom that shows up in Vermont in the springtime is the morel, and that's a very mighty mushroom. It's got a very short growing season it's only out when the apple trees are blossoming and the lilacs are out and it's a very very short window of time it likes to grow around that dead and dying elm trees of which we have many in vermont also around ash and of course the ubiquitous apple orchard which is where we find a lot of them and they are absolutely choice mushroom when i was out in minnesota in may They had some for sale, and they were $115 a pound. Oh. I could not not believe it. I I mean, I can get bags of them, and I was thinking to myself, my gosh, I could put my kids with college." that's a (laughs) lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And then the second mushroom in the early summer, right after the 4th of July, and if you'll notice on the early summer page, Ellen did a beautiful watercolor of the Creamery Bridge in Brattleboro, Vermont. Along with the uh, a mix of the Brattleboro Fourth of July parade and the Heifer Stroll, which yep. doesn't happen any longer, but was very uh, was sort of a centerpiece of the Vermont summer, and the chanterelle, which is a, a yellow mushroom, shows up right after that first heat wave in early July, and pretty much grows all the way. I mean, I found some chanterelles this week. It grows all the way into October. Um, And it's a very wonderful, delicious mushroom with quite a nutty flavor. One of my favorites. People ask me a lot, what's my favorite? And I find the chanterelle to handle cooking of all sorts just beautifully. And the recipe in that is, as you noted, the pasta with chanterelles, but you can use any mushroom. All of the recipes are interchangeable with any mushrooms. And then the third section being the late summer, Mason goes out and looks for lobster mushrooms. They're a wonderful beginner mushroom because... They're like the color of that hunter orange-red, and they look almost out of place in nature. So they're very uh, distinguishable and do not have any lookalikes. And they like to grow under the hemlocks and the pine trees. And, of course, he gets caught in a, in a vicious thunderstorm in the middle of finding them. And then the last section, he's out looking for black trumpet mushrooms in the, in the fall and black trumpets are very, very hard to find, but absolutely divine to eat. And when you find them, you tend to find a lot of them, a big, big patches of them. And they are well liked by the deer. So Mason goes following the deer tracks to find the black trumpets um, in, a, in a clearing in the woods. And uh, black trumpets are, are again, uh, wonderful. We make them in the recipe in the book as a crisp in the oven. Right. We put them in, and they crisp up like potato chips and... Uh, In my house, you had to act fast.
1: (laughs) I bet you can't just eat one, as they say about potato chips, right?
0: Exactly. And black trumpets have a wonderful, earthy, salty, potato chippy
1: flavor. I'm looking in the book, and I can't find it offhand, but there's a great page with uh, illustrations of all these mushrooms. Um, So on the last page. On the the last last page. 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 Right here it is. And it's got a little history of, of each of the mushrooms, the morel, the lobster, which I had never heard about, the black trumpet and uh, the chanterelle. So, uh, you've, it's re- I would recommend this book. It's a great book to have, especially if you've got kids coming to visit. And you know what? As an adult, I, um, I'm going to make each one of these recipes because they're, because they're easy to follow and easy to read. And you, I, I wrote somewhere that you said you could find mushrooms in cemeteries in school yeah i mean just weird not not weird places but places besides the forest that uh, um that you can find mushrooms And um how great is yeah, oh, that that's great one is of
0: that? the wonderful things about mushroom foraging is once you learn a few okay. beginner mushrooms you can you can forage anywhere and uh you can forage in playgrounds and sidewalks yep. and cemeteries. Of course, you know, think about foraging in cemeteries, and it gets a little weird pretty quickly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Should I be back at the end of November for Halloween?
0: Right, right. Um, but, yeah, mushrooms are everywhere. And once you develop what I call mushroom eyes, you can really see that they are a huge part of our landscape. And we, we really can't exist without fungi. They're responsible for all of the good things in our lives from from the bread that we eat in form of yeast to our alcohol in the form of fermentation to penicillin to the good bacteria in our gut, it all has a, a tracing back to fungal DNA and, and the trillions of microbes that, that live inside us and, and also out in the world. And there's a lot of nutritional value to mushrooms, too, which is an under, understated, underrepresented part of, of the uh, of the food pyramid. Really?
1: That's really great. I noticed at our campground, because, uh, it's, it's not the driest land in the world up there. And every time it rained afterwards, there they'd be. They'd all be out. Yep. And my dog and I'd be walking around and I'd be thinking, God, I wish I could, I knew what they were. I should pay attention yeah. and, and pick them yeah. because, um, I love them. So you yeah. got invited to do a TED Talk. I'm sure a lot of folks know what a TED Talk is. Um, and I, I listened to it uh, yesterday. Uh, could you talk about the, how you got invited and the message was for children and foraging?
0: Sure, yeah. It was actually, it was a TEDx. It was in Boston, and uh, they invited me to speak to uh, kindergartners, actually, huh, cool. uh, in the inner city, which had its own uh, interesting you know, dynamics, but I, that's my crowd. So I was very happy to talk to <laughs> kindergartners. And um, the the Topic of this particular this particular TEDx uh, usually has themes, and this one is about planetary stewardship. And so, I really make the connection in a lot of my work with children about the importance of being out in nature as a way to connect to our land and learn about what the forests and the cemeteries and the playgrounds offer us, in order that we might begin. To not only notice it and recognize it, but then steward it and ultimately take care of it and not want to mess it up. So that's the bigger sort of mission driven work behind foraging. It's understanding this place that we call home, the place that we live in order that we might want to take care of it. And so that was the message of my talk and also just the excitement and thrill of getting out there armed with a little bit more education and knowledge, and you don't have to want to eat mushrooms, Pat, in order to experience them and, and touch them and photograph them or make spore print art from them or put them in your Thanksgiving centerpiece on the table. <laughs> they, they offer a lot of beauty in addition to their culinary you know, parts to them. There's There's much more to them than just, you know, can I eat this?
1: Well, I I know some people, like my daughter, I hope she's not listening, um, when she was little, I I, I cook with mushrooms all the time, so I would put mushrooms in whatever I'd be making her. But I'd have to cut them up real small because darned if she wouldn't take a mouthful and all of a sudden the little tongue would stick out of her mouth and there would be the mushroom. And I never (laughs) – I never could get. Now, of course, she eats it like there's no tomorrow. But back then, I don't know how she found them, but she did because I would, I would be like a contest <laughs> after a while to see if I could fake her out, but I couldn't. And this little tongue had come out, and there'd be the mushroom. Um, but I just, I, I love them, um, and I think um, they're just, I don't know. There's whatever you use them, it's good um in, yep. in stew, stews and soups and just um, just as a appetizer raw i mean it's just great yep. so yep. um and i think working with kids must be wonderful because they like they're like sponges they just uh, must ask some very interesting questions melanie you mentioned going national are you traveling a lot with uh your book and with um talking about foraging I
0: am Pat. No, Surprisingly, great. I've been doing mushroom education with kids uh, in Vermont and New Hampshire for 22 years now. But <laughs> having a book, even though I wrote it myself and gave myself that validity, <laughs> somehow <laughs> opens a lot of doors. Um, and I've uh, yeah, I'm in next uh, couple weeks headed out to the Pacific North, Northwest, to Seattle and Portland, and wow. this year alone I've been to California and Texas and uh, Minnesota and all up, all around New England, of course. Uh, honestly, though, my favorite thing to do is be within driving distance yeah,
1: right. and
0: go up, you know, I can't wait to go up this weekend to northern Vermont, both for the, the, the thrill of seeing the foliage and just being out in our great state, but also... Uh, meeting the folks on the ground who love to forage or bring their families to these events. It's just unbelievably uh, fulfilling work.
1: Now, when you were on the show last time, you talked about foraging clubs. There are Mm -hmm. clubs that are in Vermont where if you don't know what you're doing, like me, um, you could join a club and learn all about it. You
0: bet. And so mushroom clubs... uh, exist in all 50 states. And they certainly exist online on, in terms of groups on Facebook and so on. In Vermont, there's one called, I think, Vermont Foragers. There's a Southern uh, Southern New England Foragers. There, there, there's a, a huge groups of, of folks that congregate on Facebook, and then they make events out of those where you can meet like-minded people and go foraging with them. And then in addition to that, here in the Brattleboro, Keene area. We have the Menadnock Mushroom Club, and we meet every Sunday morning at ten in different locations, led by a different group member. It's just essentially free. It's I think fifteen dollars a year to join, and you can go on sixteen different forays in different places and learn from the crowdsourced, uh, you know, group experience of everybody sharing their knowledge. A lot of mycology started that way it has not been uh, you know financed or studies have not been done so much through academia. It's more happened through the individual pursuits uh, by individual mycologists. And that continues to be the way mushroom education is primarily shared. And I invite everybody who's interested who's listening. To find out where there are local walks, like the two that I'm doing this weekend at Shelburne Farms and at North Branch, they happen every weekend all around the huh. state. If you just start to keep your ears and eyes perked for them,
1: and you too can become a mycologist, but so you got to <laughs> look that up. Those are people who study mushrooms. Says so right in the book. And I was I got that word from a note that you put in your book, a message for future foragers. Could you talk about what uh, you were, it's right in the beginning of the book, if you get the book, you just open it up and there's a message for you.
0: Yeah, future foragers, I really think, and I'm sure you agree with this, that that our future is in the hands of the next generation Mm -hmm. behind us and how they intend to steward our lands and our forests and our green spaces. And by going out in the woods, looking for things it it can't help but make you extremely present to your environment both the sound the smell the taste the touch you know that 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 the big hunk of moss on that rock the salamander that's under the fern you know the spider web that you walk through all of those things are so tactile and it's it, it you can't help but just in the forest. And that's what stewarding your land is really all about, understanding what it can offer you and what it's asking of us in order to take care of it. And so future foragers are essentially, for me, in my experience, they're young people who have this opportunity to really start their own personal relationship with nature. Huh. And that's, that's what I'm trying to
1: do. Let's, does that uh, make sense? Oh, it absolutely does make sense. It's wonderful. I'd also like at the end of this, uh this goes back to my childhood, where it says, when in doubt, throw it out. Because mm-hmm. when we were kids, my parents said, whatever you do, don't eat mushrooms. And mm-hmm. that you find in the woods because they could make you sick. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So. How I address this set is uh, not only don't eat mushrooms, many children are told don't touch mushrooms oh. don't even ha- don't even get near them that's really what us educators are up against huh. so the mycophobia in in the in in America specifically is really quite deep and intense, and it starts very young and essentially don't touch that has with it the message that you know, you may not have a relationship with this thing, but you have to touch things in order to learn about them, right? Right. So the world of mycology and mushrooms and, and the whole fungal universe has essentially been cut off from education by this one phrase, don't touch that. And the the, the the interesting part about that is that you can touch all mushrooms, just like you can touch many things throughout the day that you don't eat. If you did your dishes this morning in the sink, you touched the detergent. You don't eat it, right? right? It's the same thing with mushrooms. You can touch them. You can examine them. You can look at them under microscopes. You just can't eat certain ones, not the majority, by the way. Certain specific mushrooms, just like you can't eat many things that you interact with on a daily basis. If you do a collage made out of glue and you're touching the glue the entire time, afterwards you might wash your hands, right? It's the same thing with mushrooms, right?
1: What do they Um, think will happen if you touch it? You'll put your fingers in your mouth and and that's it?
0: Well, and even that is scientifically not a thing because it would take – a bit more than just the right. few individual spores. You're in order for, let's say, the a an amanita destroying angel, the big white amanita that's in the forest. Um, in order for that to hurt you, you would need to have a bite of it, chew on it, ingest it, have it go into your stomach, have your liver have to process it. It has to do with the uh, path, the you know pathogens, the uh, poisons that are in the actual meat and, you know, fruiting bodies right. of the mushrooms, not the individual spores, not even probably a tiny, tiny amount. It, you would have to actually ingest, you know, a, a, a more than a bite ball. So the idea that you, you know, could touch something and then have enough to kill you is really, again, quite erroneous. Um, and so what I'm trying to do with folks is, educate them so that they know which mushrooms you can and can't interact right. with it's like when you go into the woods there is actually something you can't touch you and i both know what that is it'll give you a yeah. laugh
1: Been they have done that
0: yeah, yeah poison ivy right so part of going out in the woods with kids is also teaching them about the things that you actually can't touch like poison ivy right and i love you know in, in order to to have a child learn about what that three-leafed shiny plant looks like, you got to be standing in front of one, you know? I mean, you could look at it in books, but it's not nearly as effective as standing, you know, at the side of a path and saying, that's poison ivy. Don't get into it, right? right? And uh, you're amazed at how many kids, uh, even teenagers, I take out in the woods and they, they don't know what poison ivy looks like. Wow.
1: Well, they'll find out the hard way.
0: Exactly. So education is critical. Yeah. So don't touch that when you don't know what the anything about the thing isn't is not you know really a great way to educate children.
1: Interesting. I was look. I'm. I just found it in the book. I I read where the chanterelle. There's a sort of a, a mushroom that looks like a chanterelle called a jack o' lantern, which is not a good thing to eat. So. You really maybe going on your first foraging with a group of people that have uh, know what they're doing would be a good thing to teach you the difference between the jack o' lantern and the chanterelle. Um, You bet. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it just makes you sick. It doesn't do anything beyond that, does it? Just. Well, the jack o' lantern can get you good and good and ill. uh, I uh, I don't I
0: don't understand entirely how folks could think that a, a, a uh, Jack o' lanterns grow on the side of of dumps in yep. deep humong- humongous clumps, and you'd really have to be pretty pressed to confuse it with a chanterelle. I see. But I guess, I guess it's happened in the past, right? Um, and so uh, people have their, you know, wits about them around it. Um, I consider a chanterelle a, a beginner mushroom, but certainly uh, the black trumpet has. Absolutely no poisonous lookalikes. The morel, also with that hollow middle. uh, If you go with the the morel with a hollow middle, you're not going to, there's nothing that has that similar hollow middle. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, the the idea of uh, there are more advanced mushrooms, but I try to teach people learn one. Learn one at a time. You don't have to, I certainly don't know all the mushrooms in the forest. It's impossible. There's tens of thousands of them. You know, I probably know maybe a 100 mushrooms or so, but I know which ones I'm looking for, and I know which ones that I'm not looking for. And if I don't know the name of the one that I'm not looking for, I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. Well, because just – I I would think the satisfaction is, A, finding them, but then bringing them home and cooking them and serving them and having people love what – what you made—it's just great, uh, Melanie. We had a caller um, didn't want to be on the air, but just remind everybody about poison sumac. I know that one for real. Um, just other yeah. things to look out in the woods while you're out looking for mushrooms. Pay attention to um, such things as poison ivy and poison sumac. I I, um, I managed to think that was a beautiful thing one time and came home. <laughs> it was unpleasant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. in pain yeah. for a whole lot of days. So just yep. pay attention out there. Yeah. Anyway, Madeline, I'm just curious, what age you've mentioned kindergartens and you also talk about you're never too young to learn or too old to start foraging. What age group would you say this book was, was written for when you started to write it?
0: Well, they actually, uh, the publishers determine an age bracket ah. for it and it's four, it's four years old to nine and why the major span of that is I look at it that a four-year-old would have this read to them as a bedtime story. I've definitely heard from parents that it's the one that they reach to because they themselves have an interest in mushrooms, so they're learning as they're reading, and there's a lot of pictures that Ellen did of little animals and things on each page so kids can point out the animals and you can play a lot of find the animal games and of course Buddy, the family dog, is on every page so you can sort of follow Buddy through the woods and his his misadventures as well. And then the nine-year-olds would be, so the four-year-olds would be learning to read and the nine-year-olds would be reading to learn. So they would be reading the book to themselves and uh, possibly even you know, taking notes or doing a paper or doing anything about the mushrooms that they're reading about, or potentially taking that information and, and expanding it into a some sort of project at school. Uh, so it can be a basis for further learning about the four mushrooms that are listed in the book.
1: So Mason must be a little older these days. Does he ever come with you on oh on your talks? Oh
0: my gosh, Mason turned twenty-one. <laughs> oh <please>. stop.
1: <laughs> Oh, okay. isn't it. that scary? Tell
0: me about it. Yes, um, he is a fantastic mushroom forager to this day. I, bet. I like to laugh with him. It's, it's like the best party trick ever. You know, to be able to go out in the woods with your friends on a hike. Right. He goes to school out in Colorado and they'll go out hiking and and he'll say, Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, violet rimmed polypore. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: cool! He'll, he'll, use
0: some, he'll use some big name for a mushroom that he knows, and uh, it is definitely a good a good party trick. And uh, no, he's he's quite an avid forager still. And this is one of the wonderful things that about this uh, hobby, is that it it doesn't ever you know you can't outgrow it. Even as you get older, you can still take walks along. You know, nice woodland paths, and and even if you have walking sticks, or even if you're walking slowly, is a great way to forage. I highly recommend it. It's better than walking fast. You know, you can really take in what what's around the forest floor and on the trees this time of year. So, and it's a terrific thing to do with your grandkids. And I hope some grandparents will might bring grandkids to the events this weekend because you know, when as a grandparent, sometimes you're thinking, boy, I'd love to do something with my grandchild. That's not the, the, you know, the,
1: the, the normal just, stuff let me right? take
0: you to the playground. Right. Exactly. So these are very intergenerational events, and I always have grandparents who are taking their grandkids out. And I tell them, you know, when your grandchild is older, they are going to remember that their grandparent was the first person to take the mushroom foraging. Aww. I hear it every week.
1: That's great. Well, and Isn't how great it, uh, for your son. How many college kids have a book written about them? So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I want to remind people, you just mentioned the sessions this weekend on the 8th. Uh, and from Oct- On October 8th, from 10 to 1130 at Shelburne Farms, uh, mushroom foraging, read aloud, an interactive mushroom ID session. That sounds cool. A cooking demonstration and testing. And the same... At uh, 2 p.m. at the North Branch Nature Center here in Montpelier, um, same agenda. And I think it sounds like, can you talk about what is the interactive mushroom ID session? What is that about?
0: So when we go out in the woods um, on a foray, as they're called, we pick the mushrooms and put them in our baskets. And when we bring them back do the table and do an identification ah. session. I like to say we bring the mushrooms to the people instead of trying to bring people to the mushrooms in the woods. We pick a lot of them individually, just, you know, one sample of each type. And then we come back and talk about, you know, what what kind of mushrooms. They're gilled mm-hmm. mushrooms, they're sponge bottom mushrooms, there's all different types. So you you begin to learn how to Compartmentalize and categorize them. Yeah, and these events this weekend are—I are, think they're not yet full. I think Shelburne Farms is pretty close to full, but I don't—I think North Branch still has room. And on my website, mason goes mushrooming. You can see all of my upcoming events. I'm going to be out in Exeter, uh, New Hampshire, the following Great. week, and back up um, at Taylor Farm in Londonderry. We're going to be doing. A Thanksgiving centerpiece making event oh
1: it's really nice.
0: fun in November where you can make your Thanksgiving centerpiece with items that we find from the forest, not only mushrooms but pine cones and boughs and you know feathers and really that 's such a fun event, and I love the folks up there at Taylor farm in londonderry so there 's a lot of uh, great local and very inexpensive things you can be doing with foraging this fall
1: so something just came to mind as you were talking about a centerpiece. How do you store mushrooms to keep them not turning brown?
0: Great question. You put them in a brown paper bag Uh in the fridge with a little moist paper towel, and they will stay literally for weeks.
1: Oh, no so kidding. Thank you. Don't,
0: don't keep them in their plastic container. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing you can do. I don't know why. Whoever came up with the plastic container for mushrooms is somebody who wanted them to go bad in your fridge. But... <laughs> so you buy more. <laughs> <laughs> so you buy more, yeah. yeah. Immediately transfer them into a, a brown paper sandwich bag. Thank you. Bag. Put them in your fridge, they'll hold for a long, good long time.
1: I don't want to tell you how many mushrooms I've thrown out because they not only get brown, they get, the Ditto. texture kind of dies. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. So anyway, any, we only have a few minutes left. Anything new on the horizon for you as far as projects or writing or?
0: Uh, I get asked if I'm going to write a second book and I say not on your life. Oh,
1: <laughs> come on. It's so cool.
0: Oh, you're very kind. It was very fun uh, to write it, Pat. It was an incredibly hard thing to do. I'm so glad I didn't know what I didn't know about children's book writing. Right. And right now, I'm just having the best time going out in the actual woods Ah, with families. That's really where I want to be.
1: Good for you. I also have to mention in the time left that Melanie is a co-owner of the Porch Cafe and Catering in Brattleboro, along with her husband, Beau. And uh, she's responsible for promoting the cafe, and I bet there's mushrooms on that menu. You bet. That's
0: funny <laughs> that's... to mention that. If anybody's in Brattleboro, the Porch Cafe is owned by my husband and our business partner Gretchen and her husband, and we have breakfast and lunch um, four days a week, Monday through Thursday. Uh, we cater on the weekends, so we're not open on weekends. But this week we had a hedgehog omelet using locally foraged hedgehogs from. Putney, which are a wonderful beginner mushroom as well. Um, And Gretchen made an incredible mushroom omelet that was, of course, sold out in a matter of minutes. And then she'll also be making a hen of the woods soup with the the hen-of-the-woods that are coming in. Yeah, if anybody Uh. ever wants to drop off their mushrooms, she's uh, happy to make mushroom specials with them. Sometimes people find too many, and they bring them by.
1: And just so you know, Gretchen has got a a culinary – she's a culinary graduate – and she won the Young Vermont Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2017. So, um.
0: Boy, Pat, you have done your I, <laughs> Well, we that try. That is amazing. No, that you know that.
1: Uh, well, it's, I, that's the part, it's part of, I love talking to people, but I love the research part too, cause I learn so much. It's really great. And there's so no secrets on internet. Doctor. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, no, that's wonderful. I'll see you Saturday at uh, Montpelier. Sunday. See you Sunday. Uh, Don't oh, Sunday. Oh my Saturday gosh. I put I down Yeah, it's Sunday
0: Sunday in Montpelier is at 2 o'clock And I absolutely cannot wait to meet you in person Cool,
1: thank you Thanks for coming on, we really appreciate it Uh, Don't forget to check out her book Um, Mason Goes Mushrooming This is Pat McDonald On WDEV